Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome, an incredibly mismarketed show indeed, right, Brad Jones? Actually, yeah, that'd be really funny if the name of this episode was like Lost in the Static. Maybe it will be when you put it on your site. <laughs> and then with us is Alex Jowski. Hello, everyone. I'm totally Alex Jowski, the Marquis de Suede. I wrote Sallow Bitches. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, Alex Diamanda did. Really good Hoggett impression. Fuck He's got yeah. the accent, the, the the pitch, everything. Fuck yeah. Before we actually get into the topic, which if you can't tell from my little joke off the top, is about marketing, go to adamandeve.com. It's just been the 4th of July. Why don't you guys celebrate the independence of America by buying a weapon of ass destruction from adamandeve.com. Use the promo oh. code DROME. What? Or apparently yelling at neighborhood kids like you were doing. <laughs> Quiet you, I'm doing the promo. <laughs> Using the promo code DROME, you get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, free U.S. shipping, and a free mystery gift. Buy a weapon of ass destruction today. Marketing of movies. We already did one on the sleazy side of marketing, but what about when a movie is just mismarketed or a really bad movie is marketed properly? Look at something like 1983 Twilight Zone movie. It was considered a disappointment. And the marketing was kind of weak due to Vic Morrow's death and the obvious controversy surrounding that. Do you think mm-hmm. that the fact that almost every major critic that reviewed the movie mentioned the deaths involved hurt the film? Or do you think that Warner Brothers was going to get the $30 million box office that they got regardless? Do you think that colored how people went to the box office? Do you think that the, uh, mar- uh, do you think that the marketing department should have addressed that or just played it and ignored it the way they did i don't think it's i don't think it's a bad idea to just sell your movie just sell your give it a trailer give it a trailer that reflects the movie put it out there you don't have to you don't have to mention in the advertising campaign that big morrow died during the making of it i mean did they do that with the crow yeah they they in the advertising campaign for the crow they mentioned that bruce lee got shot and killed well, first of all, Bruce Lee wasn't in the crow. <laughs> but Brandon, Brandon Lee. <laughs> but uh, they did, they not in the trailer, but some of the posters, the radio spots and TV spots mentioned Brandon Lee's final tragic film. So they okay. did use the death of Brandon Lee to try and sell extra tickets to the crow. Um, and you know what, mentioning, I don't know, I can well, well, see. What I, I like I, about that advertisement is you got Brandon Lee's final tragic film which indicates that the rest of his films were also tragic so i'm thinking just because they were all shit <laughs> hey 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 showdown in little tokyo was actually pretty decent i like that one yeah L- laser mission on the other hand brad back me up yeah that was shit laser la- laser mission kind of sucks <laughs> i haven't seen laser mission i'm too busy watching real films like you know 758 million different types of christian movie not me i'm busy watching movies like laser mission <laughs> Yeah, you actually did that for a Beyond Midnight, too. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot about that. Well, Laser laser Mission serves a purpose in that, like, you know, it was really funny in uh, Ninja the Mission Wars. That's true. Do you think it would have done better had they acknowledged Vic Morrow's death or, or even done the sleazy thing and played it up? Or do you think the marketing department made the right move? 
by just kind of going, yeah, that people are talking about it in the news. Any kind of publicity is good publicity, right? Sure. I mean, yeah, people, I guess there's really no, there's honest, there's honestly no reason to mention that in the freaking trailers or advertising, because pretty sure everyone freaking knew about that back then. But Plus, I, you know what, honestly, I mean, and granted, this is a guess, I, I don't know, but I think it would have done probably the same regardless of, of how it was advertised. That's my guess, because there, there have been movies that have been released that were huge hits where the actor died before they, rele they were released, and then there were movies that didn't do so well. So I think it's kind of a crapshoot. Mentioning it really would have hurt the film because, you know, Twilight Zone, it's not Saw. It's got a the, the, the amount of people who would want to watch a Twilight Zone movie who would also want to see a guy get killed is, is, is a little bit smaller than a Venn diagram. So, you know, I saw a movie I could see sort of playing up the fact that, oh, Tobin Bell exploded during this film. But, um, but Twilight Zone, nah, they, uh, they, they were hurt by it, I think. Yeah, that's actually a good point, because I think that regardless of how they advertised The Crow, that audience still would have gone out and seen it. Dark Knight, or uh, The Dark Knight still would have done really well, despite well, how Knight, it was ad he... advertised. Well, with the Dark Knight, it was a bit. There was a bit more of a space because Heath Ledger died, uh, you know, months and half a film later on. How it's... long before the release of Twilight Zone did Vic Morrow die, and when the movie was eventually released? It was within the same calendar year, a relatively short period of time. One of the reasons that they may have kept it quiet, though, is because of the involuntary manslaughter charges against John Landis and Steven Spielberg. So maybe legal reasons they couldn't bring it up. Maybe, but Maybe. with um, I'm just thinking because it was during the filming, so people are like watching the footage and they're all going, "Oh, is that what's going to happen?" Oh, oh, because that sort of makes it more direct. While Heath Ledger d died nowhere near the set of The Dark Knight, so right. you, you get a bit of distance that way. Well, then what about marketing a movie where you the the trailer makes strange choices, and I don't mean duplicitous choices necessarily, but do you guys remember the Predator Two trailer, the uh, medical examiner? versus the medical examiner in the final film no uh it, no in the trailer she's dubbed by an a actress with no accent but in the movie they have the actress's real voice that makes me kind of go why did you dub it for the trailer for the same lines but then it's the actress's real voice in the movie it has almost no weight but it cuts like steel incredible it has almost no weight. But it cuts like steel. Let me see. We are now at 150,000 times normal magnification. Astonishing. This material doesn't correspond to anything on the periodic table. That seems like just a strange marketing move, doesn't it? Uh I'm sure there's probably a reason behind that. Maybe at the time there was something wrong with the audio. Hell, maybe that line even in the movie still had to be ADR'd. I've seen that yeah. before in the in the trailer for uh, in the trailer for Goldfinger. Gert Frobe's voice hadn't been dubbed in yet. Um, in the trailer for the Terminator, the cop that uh, that stops Michael Bean, and when Michael Bean is asking him what year it is, uh, that cop in the movie his voice is dubbed, but in the trailer it's his actual voice. That's yeah, a little that's a lot wimpier sounding. You made a cop you made a comment about the accent of the woman. What was the accent in the film? It's the actress from Silent Night, Deadly Night, the the head nun. 
it's at least European, but it's it's a clear American accent in the trailer. But she uses her real voice in the movie, so I was just like, why didn't you just leave her voice from the audio track of the movie in the fucking trailer? Maybe it was a result of uh, focus groups or something. They thought that people would be less likely to come to the film if she didn't have an American accent. People are stupid. Yeah, I'm sure. Sh- yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a logical reason behind it. I'm sure it isn't, hey, let's do this for no reason. I'm sure there's a reason behind it. I don't know. Sometimes marketing departments are like that. Look at Star Trek Three. When Leonard when Nimoy they- wanted to keep the destruction of the Enterprise a secret, a plot twist, mm-hmm. marketing said, no, 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 that's how you get people into the theater. We blow up the Enterprise in the trailers, and they even wanted to put it on the poster. Now people are going to want to know how it happens. And Nemo's yeah, well, like, that's a, you that's, guys that's don't a, get it! That's a little different than, we gotta get people in the theater to see what this actress's real voice sounds like. I know, but I'm just saying, like, he said, he, he, he sounds so frustrated on the on the commentary for Star Trek 3 that the marketing department just completely blew him off. Like, no, 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 we know our job. Blowing up the Enterprise in the trailer, that will get asses into seats. And he was so frustrated by that. Do you think they see- made the right call, or do you think it no. would have been a... A bigger shock if you didn't know that was coming. Of course, it would have been a bigger shock if I didn't know it was coming. I, I don't like it when I don't like it when movie trailers give away too freaking much like that. And they've been the trailers have been doing that for since the dawn of movie trailers. Hell, you can see trailers from the seventies that pretty much just give away the entire movie within the trailer. So oh, even better those than three and a half minute to four minute trailers too. It's just like a, uh, yeah. it's like a digest size version of the movie. Oh. On the VHS of the release of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, the UK VHS, maybe it's different in America. But I remember when I was reading, reading it as a kid, and it's the entire plot of the movie is on the back of the film. Literally, yeah. the entire thing. I, and now, knowing Python, it's probably a joke, but it's just like, okay, that's a really, really bizarre choice. Uh, the back of the box for New York Ripper and Opera show the killer on the back of the box. <laughs> I, I always like when they do that, when it's supposed to be a plot twist, like, oh my god, they're the killer, and they're right on the back of the box, either like taking the mask off, or slashing yeah. somebody or something, and you go, wow, marketing department, you don't know what a plot twist is, do you? Yeah. Without seeing exactly what the director wanted for Star Trek III, um, it's hard really to make the make the call. I, 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 can, I suppose I have sympathy for the marketing department, thinking that, that you know, who wants to see a movie about Spock returning or, you know, Christopher Lloyd and, and Klingon? Like, I love Star Trek. The it's my favorite Star Trek film. General audiences, you know, you get, compare that to how many of them will be all like, holy shit, they're blowing up the Enterprise. I can see why they're doing it, but I, I don't 100% know if I agree. It comes back to also like the movie Seven. Kevin Spacey and David Fincher had to fight to keep Kevin Spacey a secret in that movie. Marketing mm-hmm. wanted him all over the posters, all in the trailers. They wanted him on talk shows talking mm. about the movie because they could not understand. Spacey's reveal is a huge plot twist, God damn it! Marketing doesn't care about the integrity of the film, and I think that's usually where the big divide comes in in cases like that. Yeah, I've, I've seen t- two movies so far this year that have completely misleading trailers. Dead Man Down, the Colin Farrell, Numi Rapace movie. The plot in that trailer is not the plot of the movie. No plot. I remember that. you oh. bitching about that after you saw it. You were like, dude, dude, yeah. that trailer, 
so misleading. So That's misleading like... in several ways. Because that trailer, I'll st- I, I thought that movie sucked, but I'll admit, that was a good trailer. It was not that movie, and whatever fucking movie that trailer was advertising seems like it would probably be really good. But the movie they released had different plot and uh, nothing, <laughs> and completely different plot elements that were than were that were in that freaking trailer. It's like a deprising of their original trailer, which literally claims in the voiceover that the people, uh, the criminals, heard a distress call and they came to rescue the people on this cruise liner. Now, for anyone who's seen uh, Deep Rising, totally not what happened. They're there to rob them. Yeah. They're not there to rescue them. That's that's actually a really good point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I do remember. Uh, yeah, when I when the trailer for that was released, and then when I finally saw the movie, I was like, "Oh, so they're robbers." I thought they were like, "Huh, all right." Mm, what do you know? Yeah, there should be some sort of uh, thing that would discourage them from literally lying to you, unless you know the misdirection is part of for like a helping a plot twist or something. You know, films that claim it's about one thing but it's blatantly not. I'm not saying make it a crime, but part of me would wish it was a crime. Do you guys remember the lady that sued the uh, that sued the marketing campaign for Drive because she thought that it was going to be like the Fast and the Furious movies? I do not remember that. No. <laughs> Look it up, man. It's hilarious. I, I do know I was pissed at the Highlander Endgame trailer, the one that yeah. had all that footage that was shot, and the producer admitted it to make the trailer more exciting. All these great scenes that. They never intended to have to have anything to do with the film. That I think is duplicitous on a ridiculous level. Yeah, dude. that's that's an art form part of it. They're perfect example. Oh yeah, dude. Ha- half of the trailer for like Paranormal Activity aren't even in the movie. I remember like three fourths of the trailer for Dumb and Dumber is like all either deleted scenes or alternate takes. Well, so, see, sometimes that can be excused because the trailer has to be cut so early that they don't have a final cut lockdown that yeah. uh, Fincher complained about that with alien three that, and I don't mean the original this time it's on earth, <laughs> this, the, the this actual footage. No, no, no. The actual footage trailer, half mm-hmm. of that trailer is only in the work print version of the film because mm. they had not locked the final cut of the uh, film down. And the, the trailer people don't know anything about that. They're just given yeah. the footage and make a cool movie, make That's a cool funny. mini movie. Okay, I like this movie, but um, no one's ever going to claim it's a masterpiece. But like Tron, you look at both trailers for Tron, the original. Mm-hmm. They're awful. They don't sell you this movie at all. And and then Disney blames Steve Lesberger for the box office failure. And I go back and look at the trailers on the DVD and I go, that's the reason the movie failed. Those trailers are terrible. They basically sell you a kid's adventure film. Something that's aimed at 12-year-olds. Yeah, I kind of felt that way, too, about the way that John Carter was advertised, because the marketing campaign for that was pathetic. And the movie, it's not great, but I thought it was okay. It was way better than any of those trailers ever freaking made it look. Do you think that part of the thing, part of the issue might be that the marketing department didn't know how to sell a movie about being sucked into a computer and dealing with the users and bits and bytes and all that to a public that really didn't know computers all that well at that point, that maybe the marketing department had an uphill battle to try and sell this movie to people that had no clue what this movie was about. 
I, I don't know, because I mean, when I, I and I like Tron, I like Tron a lot. But when I when I look at Tron, it seems like it should be an easy enough movie to advertise. It's a fun flick. Oh, I've seen fan edit trailers on YouTube that sell yeah. the movie far better than the actual marketing department did. Yeah, that's why Alien. I'm blaming them for this. That they just because they just sold this like a like an almost adventure serial kind of for mm-hmm. kids. It they they completely misunder. They completely misunderstood what the film should have been about, and they gimped the marketing campaign, I think. Well, the Aliens had a bad trailer as well, although it, it, it did what it was supposed to do. It was just a bunch of you know scenes that were badly edited together, with them with this little voice going, Aliens, this time it's war. It was terrible, but there's a difference, I suppose, between lying advertisement and uh, crap advertisement. The difference between lying and lazy, I think you mean. But then, uh, what about a film that crosses so many genres, is so different that the marketing department has no clue how to release it? Like Ed Wood, Tim Burton gave an interview to Cinema Fantastique in the like ninety six, ninety seven, when he talked about the marketing for Ed Wood. They almost didn't even release the movie; they were just going to leave it on the shelf for the sole reason marketing didn't know what to do with it. Do we sell it as a buddy? film do we sell it as a character piece do we sell it as a period piece do we sell it as a comedy do we sell it as a dramedy do we sell it promoting johnny depp and martin landau do we sell it with you know bill murray who was really huge at the at the time you know how do we sell this movie we don't know how so let's just not release it is that just not asinine oh yeah they did that with uh they they did that with lost in translation they advertised it as a zany bill murray comedy uh, like, oh, Bill Murray, he's in Japan. He doesn't know what they're talking about. I don't remember um, any. I don't remember the advertising for that at all. Yeah, they 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 really played up the kind of fish out of water. He's in Japan and doesn't really know the language all that much. They uh, did that with that movie, Observe and Report, the uh, Seth Rogen movie, where they advertised it. They advertised it like a Seth Rogen movie, like it was a kind of goopy comedy, like knocked up and stuff like that. And then when you go see it, it's dark as hell. <laughs> Did the was... advertising even play up Ray Liotta in that? Yeah, yeah, I saw Ray Liotta in the trailers for that. Okay, because I, I don't Ray... remember the ads for that one either. Even though I saw a couple of trailers that advertised this aspect of the movie, but I guess, you know, you and, and Jared were mentioning at one point that all the trailers you saw for Drive Angry didn't mention that he escaped from hell. Yeah, yeah, because uh, I remember the main trailer for that. It looked like just like a road action movie. And then after seeing your review and I rented, I'm like, there's supernatural elements? What the hell? I saw, I, there were a couple of TV spots where I saw that where they say he broke out of hell to blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I get I, and then when I then after you guys said that out of curiosity, I went through like, let me look at some more trailers for this. And yeah, you were kind of right. About 80 percent of the, about 80, 90 percent of the advertising didn't really mention that. How about for Drive Angry? They could have like advertised it as an unofficial third Ghost Rider movie. It's like Johnny Blaze is dead. But he has to come out of hell again. That'd be the best Ghost Rider movie. I love Drive Angry. <laughs> Drive Angry was a damn, damn good movie. I, mm. I, I really did enjoy the hell out of that. I'm, but then look at a look at a movie like John Dies at the end. Oh, well, that was fantastic. Uh, yes, it was. But how the hell do you market that? I can kind of mm. see you. That that's an unmarketable movie, isn't it? No, you can easily market it. You know, you market it that with uh, like a bunch of other movies. You know, what you need is a new category just for this is random but awesome. 
Well, I remember Richard O'Brien, I saw a VH1 special on like the 25th anniversary, 30th anniversary, whatever it was, of Rocky Horror Picture Show. And he said that film also was almost shelved due to marketing, that the marketing department had no clue. Do we sell it as a musical, as a comedy, as a sexual adventure, as a horror sci-fi throwback? We don't know how to do it. I just can't fathom the mindset. We've spent millions of dollars on a movie. We're going to just sit on it because we don't know how to market it. That well, just wouldn't, boggles wouldn't, my mind. They wouldn't have sat on it. They, they would have like shelved it for a while and probably given a quiet release somewhere. That They're not going to just make sure they never make any money out of it. Even if they didn't have any advertising for it, they would have it out there at least in some way, especially now when you get DVD and all and view on demand. Um, with Rocky Horror, maybe they would have done it. But well, for those films, it's quite simple. you got a bunch of elements. You do a trailer for each element. Rocky Horror, you do one trailer where you show it as a musical. You show another one showing it as a sexual thing. You show another one showing it as a throwback to horror movies. Therefore, oh, you yeah, can like, get all of those audiences. Well, like the first trailer for the first trailer for White House Down that played it like, oh, man, it's this really, really serious action thriller. Oh, man, Washington's getting screwed up. This This looks like... They're portraying it as if it's like a heavy action drama. Isn't that the one that Second... barely had Channing Tatum in it? No, that was G.I. Joe 2. <laughs> um, um, G.I. Joe 2 was great. I didn't – I, I sent other people to see that. Uh, but then the, uh, then the second <gasps> – so good, The dude, second was... trailer <laughs> – Sorry. What was I at? I was at The Host. Jesus Christ, I should have gone to see freaking G.I. Joe 2. The host I saw sucked. The Host as well. Oh my god! But the uh, the second trailer for White House Down played it like a comedy. Like, man, get your hands off my Jordans! What? All right, Mr. President. Well, I haven't seen White House Down, so I don't know. But is there a section of it which is basically very dramatic? No, no. That honestly, that first trailer that was released was a pretty poor representation of what the movie is. The movie so then- is the the movie does the, the 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 trailers that came after that first one, the very comedic trailers. Those were those were a decent representation of the movie. So then the first one, yeah, that was bullshit. So with, uh, but you know, ones which actually have multifaceted areas. If you do a trailer for each type of part for it, you mm-hmm. might, you know, you'll you'll the audiences who see more than one trailer will be like, oh, I get it. It's more than one thing. Holy cow! We can have the, we have multifaceted entertainment. I am totally uh, blown away by this. Uh, if that's done really, really, really badly. Like, I can picture myself seeing trailers for it done badly and being like, okay, what the hell kind of movie are you? Oh, yeah, I, I can easily see that. But then what about something like like Godzilla, the 1998 Godzilla, mm-hmm. which is now celebrating its 15-year its anniversary, ironically enough, the week we're recording this. You remember how everyone flocked to the theaters because, frankly, it had a great marketing campaign, and it was a movie that frankly, sucked worse than almost anything I've ever seen theatrically. Then so, you need to have seen more movies theatrically. Yeah, oh, I hated that movie so I've, much. I've seen you, movies that are a... I've seen movies that are a billion times worse than Godzilla. Yeah, yeah. You gotta watch The Host, Josh. I watched yeah. all... No, I don't want to watch The Host. I've heard enough I, about it. Dude, I watched all five Twilight movies in a row. Yeah, I've seen about yeah. half of the first yeah. one and just went... Nope, not doing this. If you think that you've seen the worst film ever, you've not watched enough movies. But I'm a Godzilla fan. That's how much of a hate f*** 
that movie was I'm, to the Godzilla franchise. I'm not. A, I. I. Well, I'm. I'm a God. I'm a Godzilla fan too. I like Godzilla a lot. That movie, though, you know what? The worst part about that movie is that it's called Godzilla. That's it. If that movie were called anything else, the same. Exact, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> If, if the movie was called that for some reason, <laughs> if the movie were called that, it would, I'm not saying it would have gotten very good reviews. I'm just saying it wouldn't be as loathed as, as it is now. Because when you break that movie down, it's just two hours of chasing a monster through New York. Like, it's not a great movie, but I can't get pissed off at it. As, as an official Godzilla movie, I can. As and- a, okay, yeah. As, as a Godzilla movie... Yeah, as a Godzilla movie, it's not a good Godzilla movie. It's yeah, not you, that that title has no business being on that movie. If, but as a movie, as as its own entity, it's just a, it's they're chasing a lizard through New York with helicopters and stuff. Like whatever. Yeah, if you think that the 1998 Godzilla is the worst giant monster movie, you haven't seen Actium Maximus: War of the Alien Dinosaurs. You haven't seen Nuki. I've seen Nuki. Yeah, if you think Godzilla's the worst. Honestly, you just think, too, I don't even think 98 Godzilla is the worst Godzilla movie. (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah, well, we'll we'll have to see how 2014's looks. Do you think that a great marketing campaign, as Godzilla proved, really can save a bad movie? Or do you you think that they went into it knowing this thing sucks – once people they, see this, they're going to run away from it in droves, so we got to market this thing right. Or do you think well, they really thought they had a great goddamn movie? Well, of course they're going to market it well. Why wouldn't they? Why would they market it as a terrible movie? Of course, no matter yeah. what, why would they do that? Like, of course they're going to use really good marketing for it. And you're right, Godzilla did have good marketing. But I will say this, Devlin and Emmerich did not, do not like that movie, because that was... That was a heavily, heavily, heavily studio-influenced film. They had no control over it. They were told left and right what needs to be in it, what doesn't need to be in it. It was They were hired guns for that movie. So Devlin and Emmerich, no, they don't have fond memories of that. They didn't enjoy making it. They don't really like the final product that much. But, I mean, why would they if you're being forced to do a bunch of stuff in a movie that you don't want to do? Well, I, the, uh, the only thing I would say that contradicts that is their commentary. They're, at least the one they recorded in 98, they were pretty proud of the film and defending okay. it left okay. and right. Okay, here's the thing. my <laughs> One of my best friends is Ryan Mitchell, who used to work for Dean Devlin. I'm right. Well, I, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm <laughs> yeah, saying <laughs> on paper, they contradict that by being like, yeah, we really like this film. Mm-hmm. Well, a commentary, well, a commentary made in 1998, just after they finished got the final thing, probably done before the film is aired. They are yeah. pretty much trying to publicize the film. They, uh, they're, they, they, that is pretty much a job, you know. There's a time to be on it. There's a time to be honest, and there's a time to sell cars. Directors almost never, unless you got like decades past, are, are almost never negative about their film. The one I can think of is. Uh, Joel Schumacher about Batman and Robin. Like, if you notice, if you look at the Star Trek movies, Jonathan Frakes has said quite clearly, quite stated quite happily that he hates Star Trek Insurrection. Uh-huh. There is As no well commentary. There is no commentary track on that DVD. He recorded one. They didn't put it on. I'd, I'd love to hear it, knowing that. Yeah. Brass came out heavily against Caligula. Well, because they, they kind of did the same thing with the commentary on. Babylon or uh, Crusade, the Babylon Five spinoff. 
J. Michael Straczynski spent the entire commentary talking about how TNT completely raped this show. So, uh-huh. so TNT said, no, if you put that out there, we're suing you, Warner Brothers. Get it off. I still want to hear his commentary. I'd love to hear that. Yeah, it's like um, the, when you got old Who, old Doctor Who and new Doctor Who. New Doctor Who has everyone basically commenting on how everything's brilliant, everyone's lovely, everything is amazing, this is the best show ever, it's brilliant. However, if you listen to some Doctor Who from the classic years, you've got the cast and crew being honest about it. Like, There's my wonderful quote from Peter Davison during uh, the story Black Orchid, where he says in the commentary, and I'm paraphrasing from memory, but... <laughs> I'm sorry if anyone's actually enjoying this, but this is crap. <laughs> Refreshing honesty. Yeah, it's I love wonderful. That. I, I'm yeah, I'm with you. I love those commentaries. Like uh, Giovanni Lombardo Radice's commentary for uh, Cannibal Ferox is awesome. Where he's just he's he's hilarious in the commentary, but he's also yelling at you for watching the movie. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you, you sons of bitches! At the end of it, he's like, "Well, I hope you liked it." And wait, wait, no, I don't. I hope you hated it. <laughs> I can't remember if it was the commentary on the laser disc or if the DVD has it, but. Raquel Welch on Myra Breckenridge. She starts a commentary. I don't know how the hell I let myself get talked into t- into talking about this movie. And it was clear she does not <laughs> want to do this commentary. She doesn't like this movie. That this was probably contractually obligated somehow, and that's the only reason she's doing it. That you can the, her her first statement is, "I don't want to be here." I would love I, but I I love that. I would I would love to do a commentary for for something I hate. That's just that stuff's just fun. Because you can just sit there and like riff along with it, and crack jokes and stuff. I think that's kind of cool. That's what Malcolm McDowell did in his commentary for Caligula. Because you know it shows like, hey, I was in a bad movie, but you know whatever. I guess since I'm Malcolm about McDowell, it. I, would, I was in 17 bad movies. Damn right. And then uh, uh, I would, I would, oh my god, I would pay money to hear an audio commentary of John Travolta and Lily Tomlin on moment by moment. <laughs> good, good God. There's um there's this wonderful thing which is not updated as much as it should. Uh, commentary, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, commentary tracks of the damned on the <laughs> AV Club, and there is some brilliant. Well, for anyone who doesn't know, they basically review and semi riff uh just commentary tracks for terrible movies, and there's some beautiful ones. Like there was, I can't remember the film, but they had they were comparing the two movies. I think it was one of the Uwe Ball ones, but. Mm-hmm. How the director and producer track is all talking about how genius this is, and this is supposed to be serious, this is brilliant. No, no, it was Dracula Dead and Loving It. They had uh, Mel Brooks and all talking basically about how this is a great movie, but then you got the actor track where, where they're basically riffing it. Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> but, but then you, you sometimes do have, maybe Devlin and Emlick really did think at the time Godzilla wasn't so bad and they changed their mind. No, Listen that's to, not like, what happened. That's not what happened. They didn't okay. like it when they made it. Okay, all right, I'm not arguing with you on that. I was just going to use it as an example as to springboard into this. But, like, Brad, remember when we interviewed Uwe Boll? He really uh, doesn't like Alone in the Dark, does he? Not really. <laughs> Listen to the commentary on the DVD. Yeah. He has a very different stance when he recorded that commentary that this movie is brilliant. He was so on Poppers. Maybe he was on Poppers, or maybe his opinion just changed as the years went on. I'm not sure which. Brad, you have to become bitter about one of your films and do a commentary and put on Blip. It'll be hilarious. I need to because I've 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 done movies that that at the time 
I liked, and then, hey, it's ten years later, and I'm like, you know what? Freak Out's not a good movie. <laughs> All of a sudden you're thinking, what the fuck was I on? No, I'm oh. not, it's not so much that I'm thinking that, because it's like, that was, that was ten years ago. I was like 22 when I made that movie, so, uh, you know, it was the first movie that I directed, and... Yeah, it was it's it was really it was well every everything. Free, Freakouts the Freakouts the cop show one. No, no, the Freakouts the one where I played uh, a serial killer in the seventies where they have a drug party. Oh, the the uh, um the last house in Dead End Street one. No, that was cheap. Um, oh, well, cheap cheap was my favorite. Cheap, I cheap, I cheap, I still kind of like. Like so, sometimes Dave and I will sit around and be like, "Dude, we haven't seen Cheap in like five years. You want to, you want to watch it?" <laughs> freak out though. No, it's like, man, I would have done things so freaking oh, differently dude, if I made get, this nowadays. <laughs> get me the best quality copy you ever you have of Cheap, and I'll totally review it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll send you a copy. I'll send you a copy of Cheap. But freak, freak out! It's like, like I mean, it's like, yeah, I I know that every movie I've directed is amateurish, but freak out is freak out is really amateurish. <laughs> it's amateurish even by amateur standards. Yeah. Well, see, I, I know Diamanda, you wanted to bitch about movie posters and the Photoshop disasters that the marketing uh -huh. department. Well, like, okay, a, a perfect example of the difference in between what the director wants for a movie poster and what marketing wants. Watch the extras on the Twelve Monkeys DVD. Terry Gilliam shows all the posters he wants, and marketing's like, no, no, no. And everyone they want is like giant photos of Brad Pitt's head, of Bruce Willis's head. And they're like, no, we got to sell Brad Pitt in this. We got to sell Bruce Willis in this. And like, even the logo is tiny. And he, he's like, what they wanted to sell was basically Brad Pitt. Oh, yeah. And it's a movie, too. It's like the, um, the one right now that I'm sort of really bothered by is the Wolverine poster, because the original teaser poster was just like the Japanese, you know, stylized version of the sun, and it's like cut in three by claws. That is a really good poster for the, for the Wolverine. You know, it's Wolverine in Japan. Woo! And it looks good. Now, then they have like these ones, just Wolverine standing around in the snow shirtless for some reason while, while surrounded by ninjas, and it looks fucking terrible. Oh yeah, I I'm 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 with you guys. I'm sick to death of freaking uninspired posters that are out now. Like even when it's a movie, all it is is just actors' heads, actors' heads, actors' heads, actors' heads standing in front of white background. Actors just kind of standing there, like photo all photoshopped together, even though they're so clearly not standing in the same room. Yeah. Uh, the, the one that the one that drives me nuts is, and this is a movie I like. The poster for uh, This is the End. Too many of these freaking posters, they tell you nothing about the movie. So This is the End, a movie that has to do with, like, drugs, alcohol, partying, the freaking biblical rapture. You could probably make a pretty cool eye-grabbing poster out of that. What does the poster look like? Uh, it's just the... the it's just the five or six leading guys all kind of giving each other noogies and, like, playing grab ass. Yeah, I was going to say, wasn't that poster just all their faces, basically? Yeah, they're all, like, putting each other in, like, headlocks. That's it. What does that tell me about the movie? You know my favorite poster ever is? Well, it's a DVD cover. It's the, the UK original DVD release of Sallow because it's pure white with the name. It's like It's like... We don't need to give you a quote. We don't need to give you an image. If you know what the fuck Sallow is, you know what the fuck Sallow is. If you don't, fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> they did that in America for Armageddon, the Criterion Collection. It's just a black background with Armageddon, and that's it. Well, yeah. remember the poster for the poster for uh, what was the 
Samuel Jackson vigilante teacher 187. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The poster for 187. It was just the numbers 187 in front of, like just in front of black and the 187 kind of looked like it was hot lava. So I saw that was like what is this are there another freaking volcano movie coming out? What the hell? And <laughs> yeah, I saw see the that. trailer. Yeah. I saw that in a TV, in, in a in a in a in a shop thing and I for for like 2 minutes I was looking at it and I was like did Samuel L. Jackson do a sequel to the Stephen King Hotel Room movie again? Right. You know, yeah. what, 1408 or something? I was like, is that a sequel? 1408. <laughs> and then I see, and then the trailers for 187 come out, and I'm like, there are no volcanoes in this. It's Damn, it. Damn it. Well, but then you've also got you've also got this thing, and thankfully more big movie stars are starting to bitch about this. Them mm. being photoshopped on posters. And not just the Photoshop messes, but they're actually photoshopping actors and actresses to make them look skinnier oh, or, or, or 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 to add you know to take away maybe some facial hair like maybe they've got a that there was that that one steve carell movie where he's got like a dirty shave mm-hmm. in the poster and they're like well he's clean shaven in the movie what the hell is that the, like the, right now that sandra bullock one with melissa the mccarthy the heat the poster melissa mccarthy is photoshopped to be almost half as wide as she actually is and he's kind of like going what the f- yeah. was that it's they did marvel that. does this all the time all the marvel movies just all the awful fucking it's just terrible stylize that shit it's interesting oh yeah and like the the uh the poster for fast and furious 6 that has like all the main actors on the poster but they're all just photoshopped in there together standing in front of a car and it's hilarious because how they're each lit, it looks like they're standing on a planet with six suns because it's all <laughs> freaking shining on them from different directions. So and it's coming now, from a Riddick movie then. But yeah. all of the all of the characters, how many characters were there in front of the car? Because I'm just wondering, can they all fit inside the car theoretically? That's another it's good point. Car. Too. Yeah, they, they're going to have to drive somewhere and leave some people behind. <laughs> um, it was like all the main characters. It, there was like six, seven or eight people on that poster. Aren't most of the cars they use in those two-seaters anyway? Yeah. I think so. That'd be <laughs> hilarious if there was the one that had a child seat. We're a little, just a slight bit older than Diamanda, and I don't know how different this was in the UK. Here, those 80s, like those beautiful Drew Struzan posters, you uh, got everything. You knew what movie you were going to Yeah. with those old posters. Now you look at it and you go, I have no clue what this movie's about. You look at those Drew Struzan pieces of art, and, or even like the Frazetta ones or anything, and you you know what you're getting. Mm-hmm. The hell, those uh, what's the company that puts together posters like that? They're it's called I I see them all the time because they're always better than the actual poster. It's like uh, Mondo. Mon- thank thank you thank you. Yeah, I knew it was Mondo in there somewhere. Those those are fantastic. And there's there were a couple times this year where I saw some pretty very very detailed, showed you exactly the kind of movie it was posters uh there was a there was a good poster for bullet to the head wasn't a great movie but it was a it was a very nice it was a very nice old school very detailed show you showed you a lot of stuff it was like all right it's stallone he's shooting people in the head but Um, but then going back to the drew struzan thing if you go to his website he'll show you just some gorgeous posters he made for movies mm -hmm. in the 90s yeah and then you look at the actual poster he goes yeah they didn't like my art and they just went with some photoshopped thing that the marketing department came up with over a weekend yeah and that's tragic when you see this you know these beautiful posters he made 
Okay, movie came out recently, uh, Manborg. It's a Canadian tiny low-budget film. It's brilliant. If either of you haven't seen it, check out Manborg. But the, mm-hmm. here's the region, the region 1 DVD release, uh, the cover. See, now that is striking and interesting, etc. It now, looks just like the, the, the cover in question, since you guys can't see it, it looks like something. It looks like a comic book cover from the mid from mid to early 1990s. Oh yeah, and that's a yeah. compliment straight through. Yeah, it, Manborg is basically a love letter to uh, a hell of a lot of really funky pop culture stuff, mostly 80s based. Here is the British release. <laughs> this is gonna be hilarious. Okay, since you guys can't <laughs> <Yeah>. see it. <laughs> It looks like a Power Rangers poster. It really does. Oh, sweet! They made another sequel. To, they made another sequel to Gen X Cops. Yeah, God, yeah. that that looks they, awful. They photoshopped in these like five dramatic people in front of an explosion and just a random these buildings in the background. That's not what the future looks like in this. It's the the movie is basically okay. It's a post-apocalyptic world because Nazi vampire demons came out of hell and destroyed the Earth. And the main character is like a... As they cyber- want to do, to be fair, they are wanting yeah. that from now and, now and then. The, the main character was a soldier killed in the final battle who gets resurrected Robocop style in order to be a, gla- a gladiator and then kill the vampire Nazi demons. That does not... You know, the first trailer gets that across tonally, but this one's just like, no! Like I said, it looks Power Rangers. I got, got a power or mid '90s Power Rangers vibe out of the that the second image you sent us. That's terrible. Uh, I think we could all agree that the uh, greatest uh, box cover of all time is for Cannibal Camp Out right there, the VHS well, release. No, this isn't about advertising, but I'm remembering because uh, I'm currently doing stuff involving the Alan Quartermain movies from the from Richard Chamberlain. When I had uh, Alan Quartermain and the Lost City of Gold, the sequel. Now. The VHS copy I had back in the 80s or early 90s, I, I, this is not, this is just, it's, uh, James Earl Jones wasn't called James Earl Jones on the VHS release. He, uh, either he used a pseudonym and he hated the film so much that he chose the most inappropriate pseudonym ever, or he, uh, they, um, misspelled his name and they just released it anyway. But they, the James Earl Jones is credited as James Earl Ray. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how many people are even going to get that. I don't think those are the same guy. So, well, I think people are going to get it once because I'm, I'm actually ordering a copy of the VHS and I'm going to end up doing a review. So I'm going to people are going to get it soon, eventually. No, the DVDs do this more. So it's more of a post marketing. You've got a movie that's got a now huge movie star in it who yeah. only maybe has a tiny cameo or a small role in the original film. They get the the poster art they get the 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 dvd art is is that is that misselling the movie like uh, all of a sudden you know <laughs> you've got you've got modern brad pitt on the cover of a movie that he's in for five minutes in 1988 <laughs> or like uh george like return to horror high starring george clooney for yeah five yeah uh, i remember that sometimes that'll happen though when they actually are the lead character in the movie like well yeah, to go to Clooney again. He starred in this movie called Red Surf, and but then when you later, when he became when he became famous, you you would find uh you would find copies of that in like dollar bins and stuff like that. And you look at the you look at the back of the box, and it's a picture of him as Seth Gecko. And you look at the front of the box, and it's George Clooney as as Doctor Ross on ER. And you could tell because he's still got the stethoscope around his neck. I like those where. The since the film's public domain, 
the movie Slipstream, mm-hmm. the, the, the DVD cover, at least the one I've got, of Ben Kingsley is a picture of him from Gandhi. The, the Mark Hamill is him from the poster of Return of the Jedi. And Bill <laughs> Paxton, he's still even wearing the headset from Apollo uh-huh. 13. So they just took <laughs> images from other movies and put them around the title. And I'm like, oh, my God, really? Like, I don't mind them capitalizing on future on later success by actors. I really don't mind that. But you should be limited to using pictures of the actor from the same fucking film. Yeah, especially because like Ben Kingsley and Slipstream, he's got a big beard and long ass hair. He looks nothing like Gandhi. So he's the yeah. Mandarin. I don't know if I, I don't. I don't know if I'd want to give that up, though, because those are hilarious. Like the DVD I've got for the movie Corrupt with Harvey Keitel, where the cover of it is a picture of him from Reservoir Dogs. Because, you know, there's no other movies they could have gotten a picture from where he played a corrupt or, let's say, bad <laughs> lieutenant. <laughs> did, did, uh, what picture of John Lydon did they have on that? It was just, uh, well... It was just Harvey Keitel, really? The, the, cover, the cover was just Keitel, but if I remember right, the one on the back was... Uh, uh, was was a picture of Johnny Rotten from the movie. Well, okay, then, before we run out of time, what about when, for whatever reason, the DVD or the VHS release refuses to use the original poster and just goes with some random still from the movie? I recently picked up, I think it was the media home video release of Damnation Alley from the 80s, and it's just a random shot of George Papard on the cover. Yeah. Instead of that beautiful Damnation Alley poster... It's just a random still from the movie, and it's like, how does, how did you expect that to sell the film? Yeah, I don't like, I don't like it when that happens either. It, it, it's, it, it, well, it certainly catches your eye in the video store in the sense that for you the see wrong it, reason. Like, yeah, exactly. In the sense that you're like, hey, that I don't remember that being the Judge Dredd poster, him just standing there shooting. Yeah, it's well, well. You've also got ones like I've got a couple of uh, Good Times releases of Mad Max. Instead of that beautiful Mad Max poster where he's standing, you know, down and or you're standing up and looking down on you, it's just some random shot of Mel Gibson with a bowl cut. Yeah, I've got that. I've got that <laughs> same tape. I've, I've got that same tape. It's it's hell. I'm I'm holding it right now. Yeah, the front of it is just it's Mel Gibson, Mad Max, the film that started it all, and it's just him standing there looking off to his left while he's holding a shotgun. Yeah, and you just kind of go, really? You didn't think that beautiful, striking piece of poster art might sell mm-hmm. that a little bit more than a really, really dated picture of Mel Gibson? That's it's even more annoying than the one of my pet annoyances whenever you have like a poster for a film. That makes no fucking sense compared for the film, like um, Defcon Four, the Canadian movie, where you've got. It's I like love this... that poster, and that's not even a commissioned piece. That's a role-playing game cover that they <laughs> used. I'm serious. I've got the role-playing game that that was originally used in. It's it's uh, it's a nice-looking cover. It's but it's got nothing to do with the movie. But you know, <laughs> the thing that you're talking about, yeah, that's worse than what I'm bitching about. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, I don't understand what they were thinking with just random pick from the movie. I get it if you're a low budget, like, you know, during the the video boom when you couldn't afford a commissioned piece of art. But if you're just re-releasing a movie that already had a theatrical run, there's a poster. Why yeah. don't you use it? There's probably yeah. more than one poster. Well, or it's, sometimes they change them for weird reasons. Like, you've got that beautiful, I think it was was Boris Vallejo's poster for Conan the Barbarian in 81. 
just beautiful. The DVD is like this pink Photoshop vomit disaster. Why would you not want to use that gorgeous poster that's always been associated with the movie instead of this pink were you trying to sell it to women because conan is not really a woman a woman friendly movie is it i was just gonna say because it's like you said earlier they want the actors front and center on the cover it's just like what we were talking about modern posters today where what you said terry gilliam was saying when you were talking about what he was saying about 12 monkeys you know no no we want bruce willis and brad pitt on the cover it's the same thing it's the same thing they don't want to use those posters that that don't feature you know the actors front and center on it no matter how beautiful the poster is they would rather go with just some stupid stock still shot from the movie now is that and i'm not disagreeing with you but now is that a fault of the marketing department misunderstanding the American public, and I'm just talking for the American release right now, or understanding them all too well, knowing that they would not go see a movie called 12 Monkeys with Terry Gilliam's original beautiful poster, but hey, it's a Bruce Willis, Brad Pitt movie? Oh, cool. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what their mindset is on there other than, you know, they want to use the actors' faces to sell the movies. So I, I don't know if it's them underest I don't know if it's them underestimating the audience or knowing exactly what the audience is probably looking for. I, well, like I don't, the, know. I don't the, know. With the, um, the complete opposite of what you're complaining about with Conan. The first time I saw the movie, uh, the, I'm going to call it a Conan-sploitation, but um, Thor the Conqueror. It was um, it was a I picked it up for a pound and the cover is this was this beautiful painting of like a Conan the Barbarian type figure and then I don't know if anyone if anyone listening has seen Thor the Conqueror but imagine a, a incredibly low budget version of Conan made in the early eighties and filmed primarily in a Roman park I already yeah. have it's called Ator that's a classic <laughs> wouldn't it be funny if Thor though. The Conqueror. Would it be funny though if Thor the Conqueror was not a Conan ripoff but an Ator ripoff? <laughs> some of those, some of those Conan ripoffs, man. Some of those have really damn good posters. Like Ator had a couple of good posters. The oh, poster my VHS work- of Ator has got a beautiful painting on the front. Oh yeah, the the Deathstalker movies have some really solid box art. You know, you can find some uh, pretty good. You can find some pretty good work there because, I mean, they don't have to worry about – they don't really have to worry about, no, no, we need the lead actor's face on screen. It's like it's – There like is how, no lead actor. Yeah, exactly. It's So it's sort of like how – it's sort of like how sometimes the box covers for the Asylum have much better box covers than the movie they're ripping off. I've actually seen that before, yeah. I've, a couple of – you know, in all honesty, the Transmorphers poster slash cover art isn't that bad. The trans, no, it's the not. The Transformers one really is. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. I think it's because the lower budget ones, you know, if they decide to take a risk, they can take more risks because they got less money on the line. Well, it, like like Brad, you mentioned the Deathstalker ones. Those were produced by Corman. Corman always knew, you know, he's a salesman through and through. He knew the movie's not that good, but we will get the videotape sales and the drive-in tickets with this uh, poster. That the poster was more important than the movie. Hell, Look at Corman in the AIP days. They'd make the poster before they even wrote the script. <laughs> Sold. Back then, the poster used to be the selling point, not yeah. the actual film itself. <laughs> yeah. Although, if you want the best uh, Conan ripoff, look no further than Goreblade. Although, watch it uh, after the episode's finished. 
I yeah that that one I'm that one I'm not I'm not familiar with Goreblade, but it sounds interesting. It's got a pretty good title actually. Yeah, I like the title Goreblade. Yeah, that, that that's a good stupid title. I like that. Who the hell put gore on my blade? <laughs> it just kind of <laughs> happens when you're a barbarian and shit, you know. <laughs> so we got to wrap up. Where can we find Brad? Actually showed up, Jones. <laughs> Thecinemasnob.com. Where can we find Alex Hagen? Demandahagen.wordpress.com. I'm thinking about changing my name to Diamanda for some reason. You can see my stuff at Tigwatig or um, ProjectMillionEntertainment.com. And you can find these shows and all my other bullshit at 1201beyond.com. You can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. And remember, celebrate your country's independence by buying a weapon of ass destruction from AdamandEve.com. Promo code DROME. Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.